Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Armor Report, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Brett Rosenthal. This is our week in review, and I appreciate you guys taking some time out of your Saturday to spend it with me talking about the stock market. Because after last week's um, wild ride, you could be real worn out. You'd rather not think about it, and I get it. So let's try to keep this brief. <laughs> I say that kind of as a joke because I start every single show trying to keep it brief, you know, and we go over an hour. But let's see if we can keep it tight, and I'll get to Q&A as soon as possible. A couple things I want to address with you. Um, number one, okay, the risk monitor's red. It's been red since early December. I'll tell you why nothing changed last week. It's still red. And what has to happen for that to change? Um, we are extracting significant alpha out of the market, day trading the indexes. We use the triple ETFs or the doubles, depending on what we're doing. And I'm going to walk you through a couple of trades this week, step-by-step, step, so you can see how to do it. You guys can do this on your own. It's not easy. It takes time. But, but if, you, if you put the work in, the money is there. So while we have a large cash position, it doesn't stop us from making a lot of money in some of the nice rallies we had this week and taking that money out. We, we extract alpha when the risk monitor is red through the day trading process. We use armor buy triggers combined with spot gamma locations. And honestly, sometimes it feels like, you know, we're just looking through the matrix. The trades are so easy. And I'm going to show you a couple of these uh, and explain how we do it. Then I want to talk about a couple of different issues. Um, you know we're already stalking the bear, so we're going to cover some of the things that are happening that are uh, um, pushing this bear market to the forefront, Okay. So we've been stalking the bear for a while, and we'll show you why we're doing that. And then some developments last week are so disturbing, right, that the, that the bear is getting closer. The paw prints are getting us closer to the den. That's what's happening. Um, but in the midst of that, there's really two um, groups that are starting to look really interesting. One is the precious metals. So we're going to go back at that story, okay? Let's look at the charts and figure out, is this the beginning of the move we've all been waiting for or just another head fake? I'm going to wrap it up with four stocks that are going up as if nothing's happening to the market. And they all have one thing in common. And what I would submit to you is you might want to put these on your whiteboard, not to buy next week. When the bear market takes hold, everything goes down. But the last ones down are usually the first ones up. And that helps us build our whiteboard. So I'll share that with you. And then I'll get to Q&A. So don't forget, the Armor Investing Way is how I run my personal capital. It's a three-stage process designed to get rid of all the noise out there that makes it almost impossible to invest, right? Because everyone's pulling you in many different directions. So all we do here is we use the whiteboard for research, trying to find explosive growth opportunities, trying to find opportunities that can cause alpha in our portfolio. We use algorithms to tell us when to commit capital and when to protect capital. Top seven indexes is what we follow most closely with the algos. And then we use the algos for day trading. We use it for swing trading other assets. We're going to go over that. And then, of course, we use stop losses to protect ourselves from ourselves. Algorithms can only be so good. They're probability algorithms. doesn't mean we make money all the time, right? 
So you have to have a way to protect yourself so you can live to fight another day and put your capital to work when others are fleeing in uh, my hair's on fire type of approach, okay? We want to avoid that in our portfolio. So this is how I run my money. You don't have to run your money that way. Do whatever you want. I'm just trying to share with you 30-plus years of experience doing this. Take away from this conversation what helps you. I hope it stimulates your thought to make you a better steward of your own capital. That's what we're doing here. And it starts first by protecting said capital. Then we capture upside. You want to know what's the biggest difference between the armor report and everybody else barking at you? I think that's the biggest difference. I care more about protecting the assets that I've worked incredibly hard to, to accumulate over the years. That's what I care most about. And then I'm going to capture upside when the window opens. All right? So let's dive in. Obviously, you can subscribe to this channel right here on YouTube. Go ahead and click that to subscribe. You'll get updates as we um, throw out um, educational videos during the week and stuff like that. Also, you know, if you like this conversation, you want to hit the like button, that's great. Um, don't forget, right up here is the um, Armor Alerts. They're free email alerts, okay? We literally send them out every morning, letting you know some basics of how we're approaching the market and some thoughts that we think are you know, valuable. So if you're not a subscriber already, you might want to subscribe to the free Armor Alerts um, and start collecting that information. Okay, so let's dive in to a review of the indexes. Risk monitor, this is the NASDAQ 100 here. Okay, risk monitor goes green here goes yellow right here telling you something's wrong with the market as we went to, as you can see, the bottom of the channel to the top. We went red right here, all right? And the market broke down, had a big up day on a Fed day, and, and then closed at the lows of the week. Quick review, right? Look at the S&P. Now, I just wanted to start by commenting. So it's the same thing here at the S&P. You can see what's going on. S&P is a little bit better than NASDAQ 100 at the moment, right? It's holding above the 50. Wanted to comment real quick. I, I, I get a, I still get um, a significant amount of questions every day the market has a big up day about whether or not the risk monitor is going to turn green. About um, some people out there like to um, uh, uh, needle me a bit. Uh, oh, I'm missing the market. Um, market's up big today. Am I starting to buy now? Um, and I respectfully would like to say to, 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 to everyone, um, the risk monitor is there to protect us from major declines in the market. Okay? It doesn't just change colors because the market has an up day. I don't know how that would help anybody. And in all due respect to the Investor's Business Daily and the William O'Neill style of investing, which I love, it's a cornerstone of what I do for my whiteboard, they have their you know, their own version of a risk monitor. And it went green at the end of Fed Day. Okay? And then I read today that it's gone back to yellow because the market uptrend is under pressure. So um, the object and the reason the risk monitor goes green for us is because it's designed to find a confluence of behavior cross indexes that signals institutions are putting capital to work. 
This week is a microcosm of why the ARM report and the risk monitor in particular is as accurate as it tends to be. Because it doesn't change just because the market has an up day. It looks at the entire market and says, is there an institutional footprint of capital being put to work? If there is, then the, then the, um, the opportunities to put capital to work off your whiteboard are at the highest probability of success, right? So one up day based on Fed comments and an auction's reaction to it wouldn't change that. And let's go look at why it wouldn't change that. So we looked at a couple of the big indexes. Oh, the S&P and the NASDAQ look great, okay, right? They're in uptrends. Why do I care? That looks like they're just consolidating, right? And maybe they are. But let's show you why we care. Okay, the small cap index has put in almost an 11-month top and is in the process of breaking down, although it recovered at the end of the day Friday. I'll explain why that is in a minute. We have the IBD50, which are the innovator stocks, in a total retreat, like 20% decline in a month. And nobody, you know, I don't think I have to remind you because it's so out there, um, but the ARC funds, you know, are down over 50% since the peak in February. So two different indexes that follow uh, innovative stocks are just getting destroyed. So when I say to you there's a stealth bear market going on, when I say we're stalking the bear, it's already here for a lot of sexy high growth stocks. I mean, it's here. 20 to 50 to 60% declines in a very short period of time. So what you've got, the way I like to think about the market right now, is it's like we're, we're in the middle of a frozen river. We're right in the middle, and it's incredibly thin ice. And there is a torrent of a river ripping underneath us, going down the falls, right? Just a torrent, stock after stock after stock that – some of you told me I'd missed. Oh, my God, you're missing this. The whole thing's going up. You missed it, right? I haven't missed any of it. They're imploding. They're going lower than the prices where I thought, oh, geez, I was missing it, right? That's the torrent of stocks going over the, <laughs> the falls right now. And yet we have a handful of stocks holding up the market that makes everybody ask me when the market has an update, is the risk monitor going to change green? The risk monitor doesn't just follow five stocks, right? It follows the whole market. It follows all parts of the market. What we're looking for is confluence. This looks like a finishing wedge, a rising wedge on the Dow. Okay? So before we break out the party hats on an up-fed day, we have to recognize what's really happening under the market. And I did a live feed for you, and we were trading the Fed day. And at some point in that feed, I shared with you that what the Fed's saying right now is very hawkish. Market's going up because of options-related behavior. And we're going to make money on that. I'm going to show you in a second how we did it. But the big picture is, the market was just trading from one spot gamma level to another based on OPEX, 
based on a relief rally because the market plummeted in front of the Fed meeting. The Fed says what everyone expected them to say. Puts get sold. Market goes up for a day. That would never change the risk monitor. It changed the IBD because the IBD apparently doesn't care about options. They just have their own rules. Okay? But it wouldn't change the risk monitor. Now, what would change the risk monitor? Okay? Let's just look at the S&P. If, if somehow the market holds up in here and doesn't decline, and we're going to look at a couple stocks in a minute that would maybe argue with that, but let's pretend it holds up in here. Okay, and let's pretend that the small caps were to stop right here at the lows. Okay, and reverse. And we start getting algorithmic risk on buy signals on all of the indexes at once. That's the um, signal that institutions are putting capital to work. Then we'll put capital to work because it'll be a broad based move. And our probabilities of success will be at their highest. So to wrap up this segment. It doesn't mean the market can't go up. S&P can make a new high at the end of the year. It could be a nice, I don't know, option-induced Christmas rally for all I know. But if it's just a handful of stocks doing that and the rest of the market continues to break down, it won't change what we're doing. So we'll have a large cash position. We'll day trade aggressively because we had a huge week. Day trading the market during risk monitor red. It, when risk monitor is red, it means there's more volatility. So day trading is a beautiful thing. You can extract alpha every day. So let's go take a look at, um, but actually before I do, I just want to share these, just this last thought here. What's holding up the S&P and the NASDAQ? And let's see how they did last week. Right, here's Microsoft. Closes below the 50-day moving average. Let's take a look at Google. Closes below the 50-day moving average. Let's take a look at Apple. Because that's been a real screamer. Everyone's been hiding in there. Now, okay, that's holding up real well, right? Who knows? Maybe it put a top in there, but you wouldn't argue with that chart right now. That's just a couple down days and a pretty strong uptrend, right? But then let's look at Tesla, okay? That's a finishing pennant that failed. There's the breakdown. After running right up to the fourth standard deviation above the 200-day moving average. Okay, so this is a classic breakdown in a stock that's been driving the S&P all year. Let's look at two lead indicators for us. When we're day trading, we watch Tesla closely, right? And we're also following the semiconductor index, which uh, I will admit to you is nothing wrong with the semis right now, right? All they've done, I'm happy to admit it. They've just pulled right back to the 50. If they hold up here, there's a lot of ideas I'd love to buy in the semiconductor space. But as you can see on that review, the generals are starting to give way. The foot shoulders have already been shot. And if the generals give way, the big indexes are going to come in. This is why we're risk monitor red. I don't want to be a bear. I'd love to be a bull. My job is to get on the right side of probabilities over and over again where a reward is worth the risk. And guess what? The market goes up like 80% of the time. So for me to get on here on a Saturday and tell you that I'm bearish is you know, eight times out of 10, I'm going to be wrong. Right? That's just how it is. Market generally goes up. So what I find is most talking heads 
whether it be on CNBC or YouTube or anywhere else. We'll just keep pounding the drum of how great the market will be and, and their, their returns will be great over the next five years. Okay? And guess what? They're probably going to be right. Market's probably going to be up over the next five years. Just look back at history. It always is. If you're willing to watch your net worth drop 50% and then rally over the next five years, probably have a 50% drop multiple times over the next five years, but rally, then, I mean, have at it. And if you're just owning the S&P, I don't know why you're watching this channel, right? If you have a portfolio of 250 stocks that you've been building over the last X amount of years, you have market rates of return. You don't need to be on this channel. Stop watching. Go do something else. What are you going to pick up from what I'm talking about? You have 250 or 300 stocks or 100 stocks. You've basically built your own ETF, and you're going to get market rates of return. And if you're happy with that, then Viocon Diaz, man, I'm, I'm happy for you. If you can honestly tell me in 2020 when the market imploded in five weeks, it did nothing to you. You didn't care that your net worth dropped 50%. Okay, then you're wired differently than me. Well done, okay? But for the rest of us who work really hard for our assets, we're not willing to go through that type of drawdown in the hopes that the federal government will bail us out every time. All right, I got in the weeds there. Thanks for listening to that rant. Let's move on. How do we make money? How do we extract alpha during the week using armor buy triggers and spot gamma locations? We do this every week on the Armor Pro Live Trading Desk. I live stream in the morning. We look for these particular setups. I'm building a playbook, by the way, that I'm going to be sharing with all Armor insiders. When I'm done building it, you're going to see charts and a step-by-step -step process so, it's, so that we say, when we see this happen, step one, step two, step three, we get long the market, here's the stop, make your money. There's just so many ways the market can open every day. Think of this playbook as like a playbook on the sidelines of a football game, okay? There's just so many defenses. We're going to put the right offense on the field to deliver when we see the setup. That's what we're doing. I've been doing this a long time, and I, I finally decided, you know what? I'm going to put this into writing in a simple chart, step-by-step. Step, this is what it is. To give you an example, what I mean is we have a Fed day, and we have a play that we do every time on a Fed day, okay? And it makes us money. Watch, so I'm going to show you what we do, okay? So this is the S&P right here. This is trading the Fed day, all right, with, whoops, that's not what I want to do, with uh, spot gamma locations and uh, armor buy triggers. I can get this to show up here. There we go. All right. Now I'm going to show you just the S&P, but we trade the NASDAQ at the same time. So you could trade the NASDAQ, you could trade the S&P, whatever you want. So this is Fed Day right here. Okay, step number one. We don't trade in the morning leading up to Fed Day, up to the Fed announcement. Okay, we don't trade. That's the white box there. No trading in the morning. It doesn't matter how good the setup looks. The market's not going anywhere until the news drops. So Take your time getting in in the morning. Go do your CrossFit. Go walk on the beach. Doesn't make a difference. Don't trade. Step two, the Fed news comes out, and there's a knee-jerk reaction. 
this particular reaction is a knee jerk higher. Okay? You don't chase the jerk because you never know. You're going to see some knee jerks up that reverse and implode. Okay? So you let the market trade for about a half an hour. It knee jerks up on the news, sells off, and tests. Now, here's the key. Okay? Here's the key. The um, volume weighted average price. Excuse me, love. Okay, lovey. Nice to see you. You look adorable. It's my daughter. She's getting ready for her birthday. And she absolutely looks adorable. Um, anyway, so what you have is the knee-jerk reaction and the pullback. Now, what we look for is a test of the VWAP, volume-weighted average price. And this is the buy trigger, the armor buy trigger. The purple dashed lines that you see are the spot gamma locations. So what we look for are triggers around locations. All the other lines in the chart are part of the armor price movement profile, or the PMP, or the day trading algorithm that we use. So we look for movement back to locations, either the purple dashed lines, which are spot gamma locations, or armor PMP lines. And when they both come together at the same time, that's when we know the game is really on. And so we got to pull back to the first standard deviation, that yellow line, above the armor VWAP, right? And we buy the breakout bar back above those two key locations. And we see it on volume. That's what the green dot is right there. So we take out that consolidation. I'll also share with you, in case some of you are um, uh, um, candlestick charters or, or Fibonacci char uh, extenders, those types of things, when you get a big up bar like this, which we had on volume, you don't want to see the asset close in the bottom half of that range, okay? So if this sell-off right here took us to a close below the bottom half of that big up bar, there would not have been a long day trade. But it holds in the top quarter of that big up bar. That's the key, holding the gamma location and the armor PMP location and gives us that breakout bar. You add your position here, you double the position right here. And I walked you guys through this as it was happening in that live feed. You can go watch that video. It's still up on the, uh, uh, on the YouTube channel. I think it's, you start it at um, 46 minutes into, the, uh, into that video. You'll find this discussion, okay, as it was happening. And I shared with you, I was doubling my position right here as it pops to new highs because now the route is on and we're going to run to the call wall, which is a gift that Spot Gamma gives us. Let me tell you guys something, okay? This is no exaggeration. I'm not affiliated to Spot Gamma. They don't pay me to say what I'm about to say. Okay, I pay them for their information. But I'm happy to give credit to people who are really good at what they do and to share it with you so you get better at what you're trying to do. All right? The fact is the single most important trading piece of information that I learned this year is to use Spot Gamma Info and to trade the call and the put walls. I did an interview with Brent Kachuba, the founder of of, um, a spot gamma, which also you can find on the uh, um, in the um, on the YouTube channel. Okay, and I asked him 
I love all of his information, but what I really care about is how do I make money using your information? I don't care to understand what Vanna is and Theta and Delta. and I don't care. All right? If somebody wants to be a, you know, um, a, do a deep dive into those things, then, you know, um, have at it. And, and I'm happy that it makes you happy. But what makes me happy is making money trading. So I don't care. I think people get too lost in the minutiae sometimes. Of why this? Why that? What does this mean? I don't care what it means. How do I make money with it? That's all I care about. Okay? And what he told me in that interview that has been unbelievably valuable. We've made so much money on this one piece of information that Brent shared with us in that interview. How to use spot gamma information to make money using armor buy triggers. His favorite trade is to buy the put wall. I, I, we've made so much money buying the put wall, it's ridiculous, okay? And it's probably the second favorite thing is to sell the call wall, right? So if we buy here and it rips to the call wall, that's your target for the day, bang, you've made your money. And so if you look at this trade right here, put it on right here, double it right here, runs right to the, to the, to the call wall up here, and we're done on the trade that day. People asking me, did that day change the risk monitor? It changed the IBD risk monitor to green. It doesn't change us. You know why? It doesn't change it. The basic reason is that was a Vanna rally. You hear that term all the time. That, that is the centerfold of Vanna rallies. You're never going to get a better example of a Vanna rally, in my opinion. There was tons of puts bought in front of the Fed meeting based on fear that the Fed would be more hawkish. The Fed was more hawkish, right? They talked about three rate hikes instead of two. They doubled the amount of taper. And if you listen to the, to the Q&A, Chairman Powell was definitely concerned about inflation. Okay, so it's, it's hawkish. And the market went up anyway because all those people who owned puts decided to book their profits on the puts because they expired two days later. Now, that's a no-brainer van rally. So they all sold the puts and the market ripped back up to the call wall. We extracted massive alpha that day. I had some people asking me, hey, we're up huge right now. Should we turn this into a swing trade? Absolutely not. It's not a swing trade. It's a day trade. It's a beautiful Havana rally from, in this case, the, at the time, it was the um, spot gamma volatility triggers, what we were buying, and we sold the call wall. So let's go forward now and look at what happened the next day. Okay. Right, so the market gave back almost all of those gains. And in fact, sometimes you guys wonder if I short the market, and we did short the market. Now, we didn't make nearly the kind of money we should, should have made on this day, okay? But this is where we shorted the market. And I don't make, you know, I don't try to make a fortune shorting. I just try to extract some profits on a down day because you don't really know the market's going to do this until it actually does it. And the market, like I say, goes up probably 80% of the time. So I don't like being against probabilities. But when we had this open higher breakdown right here on the NASDAQ, we got short the NASDAQ. We made some money down to what right here is an armor location, the armor uh, uh, average true range low of the day. Okay, I booked my profit there. But if you were part of the armor live trading desk, I shared with all of you that that bar right there should be shorted. The market's probably going lower. This is now in our playbook that I'm going to be sharing with all of you when I'm done with it. It'll be a PDF file. 
I'll send it to anybody who's an Armour subscriber so that you can see these plays as they develop. And when you see them again, you can trade them. Okay, this is a classic short opportunity right here. So you sell off, you find support, you try to rally, you can't get above the VWAP, and you break back below the first standard deviation and the second standard deviation uh, below the VWAP. That's your entry point to short again. And, of course, the market imploded the rest of the day. Okay? So just to get back to um, our S&P trade, I just wanted to show you that real quick because we do short on occasion. Although I never short the S&P. I always short NASDAQ and small caps. All right, so as usual, this is going a little bit long, and I'm going to keep working on this with you guys. I want to get to two other topics as soon as I can, but I want to share with you this trade right here, okay? So we extracted alpha twice in a major way this week, once on Fed Day, once on a gap down to the put wall. This is the money trade. This is the money trade that Brent from Spot Gamma handed us during that interview. He handed us this trade. This is his favorite trade, all right? And we've been working this trade ever since that interview. This is what it is. Market gaps down to the put wall. You have to find your own buy trigger, guys. That's not what Spot Game is about. They're telling you what the locations are. You figure out how to buy it. So that green box was our buy trigger. Markets opened lower, sold off, tested the first Fibonacci below the opening range low, and popped above the VWAP. That move, which takes us above VWAP and above the put wall, is the long opportunity. The beauty of this trade is the stop is the low of the bar we bought. The market rips all the way back from the put wall to the volatility trigger, and we booked all of our profits here. Thank you for playing in basically a little under an hour the entire net worth of our portfolio was up about three quarters of one percent on that trade we had a huge update markets plummeting at the end of the day we get in we get out we have an hour-long trade and we're done for the day you can go sit on the hammock these trades happen over and over and over again that's why i'm creating the playbook so you in this particular case this goes under the long opportunity on a gap down to the put wall. I can't tell you how many times it looks like that. When you gap down to the put wall, you get that setup. When you see that setup, you trade it because the probability of success is ridiculously high. The gains you can capture are enormous and the losses are small. If it goes below the low of the bar you bought, you're out. Write this down if you're learning how to day trade. Your best trades never challenge the stop. You don't need a big stop. The trades that work go straight up. All right, let's move on. That's how we extract alpha from the market when we're risk monitor red using armor buy triggers and spot gamma locations. It's so much fun. I, at some point, I think to myself, why isn't that what I do with all of my capital all of the time? But we do have a whiteboard. I want to get to it, and then I'm going to get to your questions. Two things I want to talk about. There are four stocks I want to show you right now that are going to force me to put them on the whiteboard. I don't really want to because I look for particular things to add to my whiteboard. Open-ended growth opportunities, high margins, great management teams, um, strong intellectual property, you know, kind of just dominant. I'm trying to uncover the next Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook when they first got started. That's what I'm looking for, all right? This group is a bunch of hardware players, but they're showing you something that I think taps into the metaverse 
And so it's going to go on my list of metaverse stocks. All right, take a look at these four charts. So we have a market that's selling off. We have metaverse, you know, technology type of names that are getting slaughtered. And then we have these stocks. Cisco doesn't know the market was down at all. Right? Cisco's actually breaking out. Sienna's absolutely on fire. Okay? Just on fire. Infinera is the little sister of Sienna. At some point, Infinera catches up, and the catch-up trade is phenomenal. Lumentum Holdings, total blowout. We don't have enough time in this conversation for me to share with you what the link is. I'm going to leave that for you to do homework. Go look at those four companies. Find out what they do. You'll see how they're all connected. Okay? And you may want to put them on your whiteboard. I'm going to leave it at that. Armor Insiders, we can discuss what the link is and why it's important Monday. Because I think what I'll be doing with all of you is listening to the conference calls of recent earnings announcements so we can get our head wrapped around how open-ended is this opportunity for them. Is this just a hardware move that's cyclical? If it is, I don't have much of an interest. Is this something more dynamic, more long, longer lasting? Then I think it may have to be added to our metaverse universe of ideas. Okay, now let's jump right into precious metals. I can't believe I'm having this conversation again, but we've made a lot of money in the last two years on precious metals. We've also taken some small losses recently. No big deal. We've traded these really, really well. This is Sprott Physical Gold. Okay, this is the collapse in 2020, which was a short-lived collapse, as you can see, and then an immediate reversal. We started buying precious metal stocks on that reversal and had a ripping move in 2020. Now we've gone through all of 2021, which, as you can see, is a massive consolidation year with a lot of starts and stops. And we have Greece here. We got in here. We had a nice run. It failed, right? We put on a position here. It had a nice run, and it failed. And then we actually extracted some gains on those trades. So we're starting to put money back to work into precious metals. I really don't want to debate with you right now whether or not the market's finally going to wake up to the fact that gold and silver go up in an inflationary environment, Okay. I don't feel like debating that with you, so please don't fill up the board with that because I'm not going to debate it. Everybody has their own belief. I believe that gold and silver will reflect the inflation problem. I believe we have an inflation problem, and I think it's going to get worse. The Fed is now talking about the fact that we have an inflation problem. Could 2022 be the year for gold and silver? It's possible. So I started putting capital back to work in the space. But this is what I wanted to share with you. I'm only buying physical assets right now. I'm not buying the mining companies. And here's the reason why. Small cap silver stocks, small cap gold stocks are small cap stocks. If the small cap index breaks down from that high, that, that, that top, that 11-month top, 
I really don't think small cap mining companies go up. If the whole market breaks down, gold and silver stocks go down with the market. We've seen that happen over and over again. They're just stocks. If we get into the environment where we have a real bear market and the big indexes start to reflect that, you get margin calls, you get people selling their best positions to make up for their worst positions, and everything goes down. It's at that point when we get a risk monitor green signal and inflation is running hot that we start buying the mining stocks. So I, I need to see a washout in the market that takes those stocks down, and then I'll probably put mine worth. That's what I like to do. That's how I like to trade. So what I'm doing right now is I'm saying, look, Sprott Physical Gold and Sprott Physical Silver are trading at discounts to their NAV at a time when I think we can have a strong metal environment in 2022, so I'm starting my metals positions there, and that's what I'm buying. Okay? I understand if you guys want to do something different, you can always – see, there's the double bottom I'm looking at. And by the way, the stop is tight, right? This is now or never in the metals. If we take out the low of um, Wednesday, Fed, Fed Day, I'll be gone from these positions. And my guess is they'll never work, okay? But if they move higher from here, what, what I would expect to happen, let's say we're right, and this is the entry point on metals, and they rip higher like this. There'll be a pullback at some point, and a higher low is made, let's say a Breakout above the 200-day, pull back to the 200-day that holds, and then reverses higher. That's when I'll jump on the mining stocks, when I'm sure the bottom is in. I don't want to pay for them right now. Although I can, I can see why you guys would. And if somebody is willing to stop a loss quickly, I get it, because you can use that low right here, that hammer bottom on GDX. That should hold. So I can see taking a position here as long as you're disciplined and you stop yourself out again. Okay? But for my money, I just want to start with the bullion itself. I want the Sprott funds that have real assets behind them, that have a discount to NAV. That's where I start. If I get paid on that, then I can layer in to other positions as the uptrend begins. Because let me tell you, it, it, this is not going to be an uptrend that gets away from me. It's not going to be like all of a sudden everyone wakes up to metals and they go, you know, Silver goes from 22 or 23, whatever dollars a share uh, 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 an ounce, uh, you know, to 50 overnight. I mean, it's just not going to do that. I and mean, if it does, then I, I make the money I make holding the bullion. Okay, that's how I'm going to approach that. All right. So those are my thoughts for the day. I hope you um, you found them helpful. Let's get to Q and A, um, and, and let's just dive right in. Thanks for spending time with me, guys. All right. Um, let's go over DraftKings. And AT&T. All right. I'm glad you brought up DraftKings because I really wanted to talk about this. It's so funny you brought this up. Because I remember right in here as it was breaking out, there was a lot of, a lot of insiders will remind, remind me of this. You know, I, it was running here, and I didn't get any of that run. And, and there was a lot of consternation on why won't I buy DraftKings. And I guess now, and you can see I didn't miss anything. The whole thing cratered. We bought it here and actually made money on that run. Can you believe that? We bought it here and made money on that run booked our profit, and the thing has just imploded. Let me tell you why I haven't been a fan of DraftKings or any of the gambling stocks. The Armor Investing way, when I build my whiteboard, is about finding companies with a moat around their business, intellectual property, um, high margins, open-ended opportunities. There, at the end of the day, there's just nothing unique about DraftKings. I know you can argue with me and tell me, 
They've got IP around this, that, and the other thing. But at the end of the day, there's FanDuel. There's Caesars Sportsbook. Like every other day, there's MGM. Like everybody's getting into the business. It's overcrowded. There's no barrier to entry. There's no moat around the business. And so the stock suffers. So when it first comes public and nobody else is there, it's a great idea. But you know it's not open-ended because people are going to get there. And probably people with bigger pockets, deeper pockets, MGM, you know, Caesars, these types of places. So I'm talking big picture now. Can you trade the asset? You can trade anything. I'm not talking about swing trading. I'm talking about making an investment that I think has open-ended capabilities to, to make me a lot of money over the years. Microsoft, Apple, Facebook. You know, these, are, these are companies. I mean, can anybody do what Microsoft does? I mean, the answer is no. There's just no competitor. I mean, you could, there's, there's other companies that try to do it, but they can't compete. Google. I mean, there's other guys that do Microsoft can't even compete with Google, right? I mean, Microsoft has their own search engine. At the end of the day, everyone uses Google. My, my point is, what we need to do as investors on that whiteboard is consistently search for that, um, that holy grail of a moat around the business, intellectual property, great management team, good balance sheet, explosive earnings and revenue growth. And that's where we want to go with capital. And I didn't see that happening in DraftKings, and that's why it's not on the, port, uh, not, not, not on the whiteboard. Um, AT&T, another great question, because this is going to dovetail. Okay, there's AT&T. Now, I want to share with you guys, we have four portfolios of the Armour Report that I share with you. These are three of which I literally, I, I run, I have a small portfolio. I, all four of them, I actually put capital in. Okay, so that I practice what I preach. We have the Armor One portfolio, which is geared towards buying what I think are explosive growth stocks at the right time. That's my whiteboard name. So we use the we use the algorithms to tell us when to buy the market, and we go over there and we start buying individual stocks. Armor Two portfolio only follows the algorithms, trading indexes and group ETFs. So we get a risk on green. We go buy, let's say 25% of the portfolio goes into twice the performance of the S&P, the Dow, the small caps, and the NASDAQ, giving us 50% exposure to market upside from that green signal. Then we day trade with a portion of that capital, and we own what might be our favorite group. So in that portfolio, I'm going to own some gold and silver because that's an ETF, right? It's not individual stocks. Then we have an index-only portfolio. So when the risk monitor goes green, I wanted to share with you all to make it easy. How, what's the simplest way to, to, to manage money using the risk monitor? Risk monitor goes green. We buy all seven indexes. That's what makes it go green, okay? You put 14.3% in each index, and you swing trade the indexes. When we turn yellow, we book some profits. When we turn red, we get 100% out. Rinse and repeat, right? And the fourth portfolio is a dividend-only portfolio. Now, I've hesitated to share this with you guys because it does not follow the Armour Investing way. I don't have tight stops. I don't sell things if it hits the low of the day that I bought it. I look for dividend companies. I look for companies with cash cow businesses that can more than cover the dividend. So the dividend cover ratio is high. A lot of cash, cash cow can cover the dividend, no debt problems. That's where we're going to get to AT&T, right? 
right? And I look to buy those names on short-term weaknesses. Let me show you what I mean. We'll get back to at in a minute. AbV is an example, okay? Cash cow of a business. And you remember this day when the thing got wrecked on a piece of news having something to do with one of their drugs? I can't remember what it was right now, okay? Instead of that being a, di- a disappointment, what this does is drive the yield back over 4%. I think it was 4.4% right in here when we bought, put the stock in our dividend portfolio. So what has ABV done? We got better than the 4% yield. The stock has only gone straight up and we're collecting yield. And let me tell you something, if this thing stays in the uptrend, we're gonna carry that position. I'm not looking to trade it. I'm looking to collect the yield. It's a dividend only portfolio waiting for dislocations lower on bad news that doesn't ruin the dividend story. Give you another example. We own IBM, right? Wonderful, terrible, terrible earnings announcement. Stock gaps down. Jim Chanos tells you it's going to zero. He's a short seller, okay? And probably he's covering his position right in here, all right? Um, and I mean, no disrespect to Jim, okay? Just, just make the way nature is. Okay, um, and, uh, and so we're buying IBM right in here to collect a 5.5% yield because it's got a cash cow that's going to support that yield. Okay, now we're making money in IBM. How about Altria? We're not buying Altria up here, but when Altria gets wrecked down here, and I think this had something to do with governments regulating tobacco, blah, 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 which every single time those stories come out, it bottoms the tobacco companies that have a cash cow business. And there's a real growth story in, in Austria because they're shifting their business to vaping. Maybe you guys missed this, but the FDA allowed them to label vaping less of a hazard. It's less hazardous to your health, right? So they're going full bore with vaping. Maybe in 10 years, that's all they make are vapes. And guess what? Intellectual property, high barrier to entry, and higher margins than basic cigarettes. I'm collecting a 7 yield in Altria after buying the weakness, that's how we build our dividend portfolio. So we get to AT&T. I know I'm spending long-winded here, but look at AT AT&T. The reason I never buy AT&T, and I look at it constantly, um, Mark, I I, I keep thinking at some point AT&T is a no-brainer. The yield gets higher and higher and higher. But what the market's telling you is that that yield's not real. They're going to cut the dividend. There's something, there's too much debt. They won't be able to service it. That's what the market's concerned about. And that's why the stock keeps going down. So it doesn't make it into my dividend portfolio because there are concerns that the cash cow can't service the debt. If those concerns go away, AT&T might end up in my portfolio. But for now, I can't do that. All right. Um, well, that's me. That's <laughs> fell up the board. Uh, Agrify. Did you see this short report? Also, any thoughts on, okay. Um, Agrify. All right. First of all, let me tell you, I, I, I don't care at all about short reports. Short reports, and it's not that they're, I'm sure every now and then a short report ends up being right. But I would say to you with a high degree of probability, that those short reports get written, the stocks crater, and the shorts are covering when those reports come out. It happens over and over and over again. I'm going to give you two examples, okay? Two that one of them might be close to your heart. Does anybody remember GrowGen back here? 
Okay, GrowGen right here. Wait, I'm gonna get this. I, I gotta show you this right here. You guys remember that? A short report came out on GrowGen right here, right here. Drove the stock down from 20 down to you know what was that price somewhere in here? 13 down from down from 20 to 13. Hey, I'm serious. Does anybody remember that? It was a short report. Now, I remember it because I bought GrowGen at $3.50, and I sold it at 18 bucks. The short report came out, and it literally got me to sell it. So I say to you, on the one hand, I don't care about short reports. But the problem with that report was they highlighted everything that made me worried about that company. Okay? I hated the management team. I always hated the management team, even though I bought it. at 350. I said I don't care about the management team. At 18, I care. Then the short report came out. I was like, I can't hold this thing because I think everything they're writing is true. But even then, even then, that bottomed the stock. Okay, it totally bottomed the stock, and you haven't heard another thing out of those short sellers. So I, I submit to you that the short sellers were short somewhere in here on GrowGen, and it popped, and they had to get out of their position. They didn't want to get more of a short squeeze. So they pay somebody to write a report. It sells off for a couple of weeks, and they, they get rid of their entire short position, and then the stock skyrockets. Now here's another one. Anybody remember this right here? This shook me out of the stock. That's because I use stop losses, right? So MP was breaking out right here, and the short report came out. Total fraud. MP is a fraud. And while I was selling it, I was throwing up on the side because I knew that was total and complete bullshit, okay? But I have stop losses. I say, look, it's hitting my stop. I have to get out. I should have bought it right back when I saw the support come in. That was my mistake, okay? But I have stop losses, and so if I get blown through a stop, I'm out. MP was supposed to be a total fraud, Okay? MP stock has only gone straight up after the short report, right? And I find it really interesting that the short report comes out the day after the stock breaks out. So had this big pennant, the stock is breaking out, so the shorts are now caught short, and they know they have a problem. So a short report comes out, craters the stock for two days. They cover their position, the stock goes up. So let's get back to Agrify. I didn't read the short report. I don't care what the report says. I've done my own research on the company. I think it's a good idea. I think the stock's getting wrecked because nobody's buying cannabis companies because small cap stocks are going down. So it's real easy to come out with a short report. My guess is that'll bottom the stock. Village Farms. Um, I don't think the delisting from the um, Toronto Stock Exchange has any impact on the company. If you told me they were delisting from the U.S. exchange, I would say maybe that's a problem because there's institutions that can't hold Toronto-based companies and they dump the stock. But I don't think there's anybody in Toronto that's going to say I have to dump Village Farms because it's trading on the NASDAQ instead of here. So I don't think that has a major impact. All right. I'm looking at buying Cisco. What do you think? Robert, is that before or after I went over Cisco? Right? I mean... I'm not a buyer of anything in this market right here, but that breakout is pretty phenomenal on Cisco. Uh, and and I'm, this is my opinion, okay? If the risk monitor goes green, I'll talk differently. Next week, I might be buying Cisco, okay? But I'm just, 
when the wristband is red, I don't buy anything. So you can do whatever you want. I'm just sharing what I do personally. But um, Cisco, Cisco, Sienna, Infinera, Light, and any other stock you can find that's going up while the markets are suffering, they're going to be the last ones to go down. The best stocks are always the last ones to go down. They're not the ones that don't go down. Because when the market, if the, if the rest of the market follows what's going on in the innovator names and the, and the growth stocks and all those other things, we're going to have a period of weeks or months where the market sells off. Indexes go lower, okay? During that time, all the leaders will go down. So what we look for during that time, I love times like that because it shows us where the strength is. The last ones to go down will be the ones we want to buy. So let's say the market breaks down and Cisco comes back to the 50-day moving average or back to the 200-day and holds. That, that's, that's where we're going to want to buy it from, 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 from me. So I'm not a buyer today, but I, I think Cisco looks good. Um, I'm liking MO. Yeah, MO, MO looks great. All right, let's keep going. And hi, Deb. Nice to see you. Nice. H-I-T-I gets interesting. You know, they're just not going to get interested. Um, um, the first place to do is to just figure out where the bottom is in MSOS. If MSOS can bottom, then I can start looking for all the other names, and I do think it will bottom sometime. It, it, you know, I would say it was already bottoming if the small cap index wasn't threatening to break down from an 11-month top. If the small cap holds here and rallies, then we might start to be able to buy some of these cannabis names again. But that's just not happening right now. So um, got to avoid. Uh, thanks for that, James. That's a sobering thought. What are you, what, why are you sharing that with us, brother? I'm not sure what that is, Opal. Um, V-O-I is your thought? V-O-I. I don't get that symbol. Hey, Stu, what's happening? Hello. Nice to see you. Lara. Um... Um, do they have to move together? Um, okay, so here's something that's interesting. We were talking about this on the desk this week. So Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway, okay, which is a value play and, and, a, and an asset that goes up when interest rates go up, right? It's an, in, it's a, an inflation uh, a play, right? Insurance companies. Aflac. Aflac looks good. They're making these bases here, Okay. But in my experience, Lara, what happens is even the best names go down when we get into a bear market. So when I'm risk monitor red, I don't know if that's the start of a bear market or just vicious rotation and congestion. I don't know. So my job is to get on the right side of probabilities. This is such a great conversation. I'm glad you brought it up. We were talking about this on the, uh, on the live trading desk this week and, and sharing these thoughts with Armour Insiders really all week. Because 
we're, we're all sharing ideas. I say we're an army of analysts, and we come up with some great ideas. A couple of Armour insiders were bringing up Aflac and Berkshire Hathaway and, and some of those names and, and some of the other insurance companies. So, Because you could argue that insurance stocks go up during an inflationary period when interest rates are going up. So you, there's nothing wrong with putting money there. I'm sharing with you what I do personally, what interests me, okay? For whatever reason, based on my personality, over the 30 years I've been doing this, when we get into a market like this, if I go rotate my capital into the stocks that I think will go up when the rest of the market's going down, I never make money at it, okay? I mean, unless I swing trade it quickly, I'm not going to make money at it. I'm going to hide in things that should not, should not go down. But in my experience, when the market sells off, it's highly correlated. Everything goes down. It'll just be that Berkshire and, and Aflac go down less. Then the market will turn and start going up so that what went down less will go up, but the other stocks will skyrocket. The real alpha will be in the stocks that are down 50 to 60% coming out of bottoms. So my money will be tied up in the wrong names when the turn comes, and I'll still have losses because everything goes down when the market you know, sells off. The market hasn't sold off aggressively yet. I'm making a call today, and I've been saying it the last couple of weeks, that could make me look very foolish a couple of weeks from now. The whole market could skyrocket for all I know, and that's just the way it'll go. But if the market skyrockets a couple of weeks from now, it won't be because Aflac and Berkshire – are, are, are running and leading the market. It'll be because all of our favorite names on the whiteboard that got destroyed are raising from the dead. I'd rather own those names because there's going to be an unreal rally coming off of this, this low. And that's where the alpha will be. So I personally choose not to go after those types of names. Now, I have a portion of my capital invested in dividend stocks. I don't sell those stocks. And during times like this, I increase my exposure there because some of my names that I've been watching get whacked in this market, boosting the dividend yield, and I'll put them in the dividend portfolio. So you'll see me do that. But, but you won't see me run after other sectors of the market that should do well because interest rates this and inflation that. I have no control over interest rates. I have no control over inflation. I can guess what might happen, but I don't know what's going to happen. Nobody does. Economists are constantly wrong. That's not an investing uh, uh, um, strategy that works for me. What works for me is identifying companies with a moat around the business, strong IP, strong management teams, explosive earnings growth, high margins, institutional sponsorship, and buying those stocks off of weakness. And that's what builds wealth over time. So I'd rather hold cash right now and day trade the indexes where we're making a killing while I wait for the next green signal. So this is a long-winded answer to your question, but there can be rotation in the market on the way down. So some groups will do okay for a while, the rest of the market's plummeting, then those groups start going down, and it just feeds on itself. Then the whole thing will wash out and we'll get a risk monitor green because all the indexes will start moving higher together, telling us the institutions are ready to start committing capital again. And that's when we want to commit capital. So that's, that's the strategy. That's the armor investing way. It doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. And I hope it, it will help all of you. All right. 
has been building a base for nearly two whole years. Three times even that's super cheap. F-U-J-H-Y. Well, already I'm concerned. I generally avoid um, penny stocks, and that's what this is. Okay, so this is just a tiny little stock. Subaru. Subaru. <laughs> I think that's Subaru. Oh, I, I spoke out of turn there. I mean, I still that's not a chart that I would buy, but it's certainly not a penny stock. Subaru. Huh. Interesting. Not a pattern for me, though. What do you think about gaps? GLDR. We're going to go long today, guys. If you want to stay, I'll keep answering questions. GLDR. Boulder's first source. Had a gap in July that wasn't retraced, and in November and December, too. Hmm. Well, um, I don't know exactly, Randy, um, what you're asking me here. So I don't know anything about Boulder. So let's just talk about if I was long the stock, where would I be long? Where would I book a profit? And how would I trade the position? That's all I can really help you with since I don't know the company and I, I don't want to get you off a trade. I can't give you advice about your portfolio, obviously. I don't know it and I don't know your risk tolerance and all, all those other things. But um, let's just go over technical analysis. So right in here is the entry point for me. Stock had a nice run. It pulls back to the 200-day. It holds. It breaks back above the 50. If I was running the algo on this, it would give me an entry point. I'm sure it would give me an entry point right here. Okay? And you get this run. So when it rips up to the top line right here, this is the fourth standard deviation above the 200-day moving average, the gray line right here. The green line is exponential. This is the standard 200-day, and this is the standard fourth standard deviation above it. So my general rule of thumb, Randy, is when I get something right, if I buy it right and it pops to the fourth line, I usually book some profits here. So right there, I'm just being honest with you. Even though it went higher, I would have booked some profits right there. And what I like to do, Randy, is trade around the core. So I've already booked some gains here, and I have a core position on down here. And now I just let the winners run. The single most important thing People can do, and they, I think the average individual investor, certainly guys just starting out, make this mistake over and over again. So let me try to help you avoid this. I've made these mistakes repeatedly. You need to ride your winners and cut your losses. I don't necessarily think that you have to sell something just because it has a gap up because the gap has to close. It doesn't have to close. And it could, it, it could end up closing six months from now after the stock doubles again, and then the whole thing implodes. You see what I'm saying? So does it eventually close the gap six months from now? I don't know. Does that really help us? Not really. So, I mean, I don't, I don't just sell something because it gaps. If anything, it can tell you that there is a short squeeze on. People are stuck. The stock can go to the moon. So what I like to do, the armor investing way, is to cauterize my risk and get my emotions out of the decision and then just let the stock do what it's capable of doing in a nod to Wim Hof, right? Let your body do what it's capable of doing. So the best way to do that is to get your position on right, have it pop, book a partial profit, whatever that part is that makes you comfortable, 25%, 50%, whatever, and then leave the position alone 
and let it go with a trailed stop probably at the 50-day moving average is what I do with a stock like that. Basque Tech. I don't know what that is, brother. That's a stock symbol. Give me another symbol. I'm not sure what that is. Hey, Stephen, how are you, man? So, yes, knowing SG locations, spot gamma locations, right. Understanding when and why at that moment is equally important. Fed day trade was excellent. Oh, thanks. That's right, Stephen. You were there um, with us, enjoying that trade. Glad you were on that with us. Okay. Golf will go down until 2023. According to my analysis, keep that in mind. Golf? Is this a joke? Are you messing with me? Are you talking about that stock, or are you are you just messing with me? Gold. Oh, gold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So you think gold's going to go down until 2023? Hey, man, throw your hat in the ring with the rest of us. You know? We'll find out if you're right on that one. But that's definitely a bottom worth giving a shot at with a stop right below the low of the Fed day. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Nobody else seems to know what gold's doing, but um, I'm going to write that one down. And if you end up being right about that one, then you know, we'll make you a gold guru. I think it's amazing that you know the exact date that's going to happen. And so, you know, just just to be fair with everybody here, um, everybody can throw their hat in the ring. I mean, we all have an opinion, right? What's that saying? Okay, everybody's got one. Um, I try to avoid coming up with guesses on predictions, on dates, on when things are going to happen. I'm not Nostradamus, okay? So all I do is look at technical setups where the reward is worth the risk, and it's an optimal entry point. I use the algorithms to tell me that, and they're telling me this is the entry point in gold and silver. And I use the stop on the low of the Fed day, which is not that far away. So what's the risk? It's not that big. And if this is the turn and it explodes, I get to make a lot of money. And I spend less time trying to guess what the future is going to be. Thoughts on Apple going into March? Well, Apple is the last man standing of the big guys, right? It's well above its 50-day, and it looks great. I, I, I wouldn't make a prediction about March. As long as it stays above the 50-day, you know, if I owned it, I'd stay with it. Going back to 180 by March. So why are you guys so concerned if it's going to go back up to 180? Um, are you guys playing options or something? I don't, I don't understand. I mean, um, the risk monitor is red, and I think the market's going down. It doesn't mean that there can't be one out of 10 stocks that go up even as the market goes down. It could be Apple. But I'm, on, I'm trying to get on the right side of probability and statistics when rewards worth risk. So I wouldn't add Apple here if I owned it. I would hold it, even though the market looks shaky, I would still hold it because it's not breaking any major trend lines. So there's no reason to sell it yet. I wouldn't just sell it just to sell it. Um, what it does between now and March and 180 is just so far outside my bailiwick, man. I can't help you with that. I don't know anybody that can help you with that. Nobody knows what Apple's going to do between now and March. I mean, anybody who tells you they do know, it's just, they're just lying. They don't know. They're hoping to be right so they can go all over Twitter and pretend that they're right. 
and they don't tell you about all the other things they were absolutely wrong about. You know, and that's, that's the lesson of marketing. You know, go out there and make 10 predictions. People don't remember the eight you're wrong about, and you can crow all day long about the two you're right about. I just don't waste my time doing that. You know, I try to keep it honest and real here at the Armour Report. No, this is this, James, I don't know where you're getting your ideas, brother. I mean, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. How, how, could, how could anybody guess that? I mean, you could have fun guessing, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, guys. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's just a complete guess. I mean, it means nothing. All right. Hmm. After six percent earnings bump in 20 is ridiculous growth. It's expected like four percent until 2025. Look, I mean, we're talking about fundamentals, guys. But what, but what drives stock prices? Let's don't ever forget this. Maybe we need a lesson again in what puts markets up, what puts stocks up. It's not the fundamentals we're talking about. It's flows of capital. When the Fed's adding liquidity, everything goes up and the best names skyrocket. When the Fed's reducing liquidity, everything goes down and the best names suffer less. So whether or not Apple gets to 230 or whatever between now and March would depend on the Fed adding liquidity. If, if, if my bearish stance would change like that if the Fed came out and said, guess what? There's a whole new pandemic. We've decided we can't stop tapering. In fact, we're going to start adding liquidity again, and we're not going to raise rates until 2030. I would be buying with two hands, and I would say Apple's going to be 260 by March. Okay, But right now, as I speak to you today, the Fed doubled their asset reduction plan last week and talked about raising rates three times next year. That's just not a year to expect massive increases in prices. That, that's, you know, that, that could change depending on what the Fed does. I'm, I love your predictions, Greg. Go for them, brother. All right. This is uh, we're gonna keep going on here, Greg. Guys, we're gonna skip skip these conversations. <laughs> I mean, all right. All right. What's your opinion on a great dividend stock, NEP? Let's keep it nice, guys. I mean, everybody has their opinion. Everyone can have their opinion. Go ahead and have it. I'm just saying for the way I run money, and um, um, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but everybody's got an opinion, right? Everyone's got one, right? You know how that saying goes, okay? NEP. Oh, yeah, next year. Yeah, you know, I've been eyeballing the utilities. Man, the utilities look good. The utilities don't think that the Fed's going to be raising rates aggressively, right? I mean, typically when the Fed's raising rates, utilities are breaking down, not breaking out. That's it's just really a real shocker to me. My two favorite names in the space with the highest yields, so I just look for high yields, oops, is going to be Duke, 
so I'm looking for 4% yields. And Southern Company, I like Southern Company and Duke. Those are my two favorites. Um, NEP is always a leader, but the yield is always lower. I don't know what the yield is right now in NEP. I haven't looked, but isn't it closer to 2 something percent? I think it's under 3% at this point, isn't it? So um, it's a good company, NEP, but it's more like a growth stock. And it, it does go up with, the obviously, the utilities and all the utility indexes. It is a utility, but it just has such a low a low yield. I mean, I wish that didn't keep me out of it. I should have bought it here and it would have been a huge run. But don't forget, I'm trying to buy um, weakness, uh, Bob. So when I add a, um, you, I won't buy utilities now because when I add a dividend to my stock, my dividend portfolio, I do it on weakness. I wait for real bad news to hit that wrecks the group and raises the dividend yield and then I jump. That's how I do that. All right. Oh, this is a good question. Let's look at AFCG. What the heck is that? But what, what made it interesting to me, I'm going to AFCG. REIT that generates secured loans and other loans for legalized cannabis industry operators for medical use. Huh. I'm going to have to do a little bit of research on that. Eight and a half percent yield. Huh. I always count on a Jersey Devil to give, a, give you an interesting idea. I'm going to have to do some work. I'm going to write that one down. What? How did I miss this one? Headquartered in West Palm Beach. REIT that originates secured loans and other loans for legalized cannabis industry. Huh. Well, I mean, first of all, it trades too small for me. The volume is so tiny, it's going to be hard for me to get along this asset. But um, could I tuck that in my dividend portfolio? You better believe it, because one name that's in my dividend portfolio since um, going all the way back to uh, uh, here, this was when I added it to my dividend portfolio, and I never sold it in the market collapse, and I just kept collecting my yield as innovative properties, right, which, you know, is the REIT for cannabis companies. So I'm attracted to that type of an idea. I'm going to go out and do some research on that. Thanks for the idea. <sighs> I have been following Copen Festeroso. This is no joke. No joke. I've been following Copen for the 30 plus years that I've been in this business. When I first got into the business, I went to an investor conference out in Monterey, California, and I met with the management team, the CEO of this company. And he's still the CEO today. He's a funny guy. He's a, he's a, he's a likable guy. Is he the guy that I want running the company? Probably not. I mean, he should be the chairman, and he should bring in somebody who's a real operator. He's got a ton of patents to his name. He's a brilliant guy, really nice guy. Um, I think it is a metaverse idea at some point, but the metaverse ideas that really attract me are the open-ended software guys, Roblox, Unity. I don't care Unity has been destroyed. It's a great idea, and it's getting destroyed, coming right down to where at some point we're going to get to be able to buy it cheap. Okay, 
You know, I, you know how I know the market's going to bottom. You know, when, you know when the market will bottom. Every time the market has an up day, I get phone calls, I get direct messages, I get emails, whatever. Is now the day that the market's bottom? Should we start buying everything? And like the market will bottom the day where it happens, the market reverses, and nobody thinks the market's going up. That's the beauty of Twitter. So I get direct messages, and I can get a flavor of you know investor risk on risk off appetites. And when 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 I get crickets, this is why I'm so interested in the cannabis space. I put out tweets on cannabis, and I get crickets now. Nobody talks about it. Nobody wants to talk. They don't want to hear about it. Not how I know these things are bottoming. I don't know when. It, I'm still waiting for algos to give me an entry point. But they're, they're bottoming somewhere in here. But I've gotten off the track. So I like Copen. It's a hardware company. So the hardware guys don't have the same IP. Um, they have IP, but they don't have the same high-margin business that I'm looking for. Although I think one day somebody buys Copen because I think they have a lot of great IP. <laughs> Lena, thank you. You're welcome and glad to have you in the um, on the Armor Slack trading desk. I like working with you every day. So right back at you. Oh, because we have a we have a stealth bear market, Brad. Absolutely, people have been destroyed because we have a stealth bear market. You know, just because five stocks have held the market up, the big indexes, doesn't mean the market's doing well this year. He did. He bought two hundred fifty thousand shares recently, or dollars? Dollars? I don't know what that is. I mean, he's got a lot of stock anyway. I think I've answered my thoughts on Apple, right? Oh yeah, Nokia. See, I keep forgetting to look at this side. This is a great 5G play, right? And the chart looks really good. So it's trying to break out, but you know, consolidating. Nokia is definitely the top of the list. I got to listen to that conference call this week. When I'm listening to, you know what? Remind me, Sabre, you're going to be in the room with us. Let's listen to the Nokia conference call. We're going to cover Sienna, Infinera, uh, Lumentum, right? Probably we'll listen to the Cisco call. We need to listen to all of those. Because those stocks are really outperforming the market, and they, they look really good. You're welcome, brother. Oh, you're, guys, I'm, I, when, when you write those things, it really you know, warms the heart and, and humbles me. I appreciate it. Greg, how are you, man? I haven't covered Roku. All right. Um, I really, I really like your thought here on Roku. And you know, what really is because that looks like definite double bottom to me. There's a definite double bottom brewing there. I'm not a buyer yet, but that if that bottom can hold and we can get a nice bottoming wedge over the next couple of weeks, and the market gives us risk on buy, I could see buying Roku. The biggest thing about Roku, people don't realize, they still care. They treat this stock like a pandemic stock because people are at home watching Roku. That's not really why you want to own Roku. Roku has inside of it, they made a brilliant acquisition a couple years ago of the number one competitor to Trade Desk. So the ad-serving business, which I think is going to explode next, next year. I mean, TTD is one of my favorite ideas. And Roku will see that reflected in their earnings and revenue because they've got that piece that I think people forget. I think it's more valuable than the rest of Roku. <laughs> That's my opinion. So I like Roku, and I'm definitely on my list. 
Um, do you still like MJs? I do, but MSOS, and I think this bomb is coming. So I, I don't, I, I, I can't. I'm going to stick with MSOS. I, I just, the, the Canadian stocks, they just look god awful. And so um, they're breaking through all types of support areas. And, you know, I, I just, I can't do it. There's nothing there that interests me. If I'm going to put money into the cannabis space, I'd rather focus on the U.S. guys. Wow. That's an interesting idea, man. I love the idea, man. I'm going to do some work there. Look at CMB. Look at the depressed imagery. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, Stefan, I really appreciate your comment you left on the last um, video that I did. Anybody who wants to comment, that's great. But what, what you wrote really warmed the heart, really humbled me, and I appreciate those comments. Um, sharing your thought process about ATR levels and VWAPs in general. I use them both on a very helpful combination. Okay, so first I would say that VWAPs and the average true ranges are probably the two most important pieces of information I use to day trade along with spot gamma locations. Second, I would say when you look at my um, ATRs and VWAPs, I call it the armor ATR, the armor VWAPs, because I took a basic VWAP and I um, went in there and wrote code to, in the algorithm we use to enhance its um, effects, in my opinion, with volatility components, right? So my VWAP might change a little bit from whatever you're using, but without a doubt, anybody who's trading without using a volume weighted average price is, is just trading blind. Um, it's the price where most institutions are buying big blocks of stock. And that's why I put envelopes, three standard deviations above and below. When you get three standard deviations above the VWAP, you're like, you and a whole bunch of other retail guys are chasing the stock. It's not an institution. They're not paying up there. They're waiting for the VWAP. And if you're panicking out and dumping the stock at the third standard deviation, it's, it's you and a bunch of retail guys. It's not an institution. It's like they have a, they have an order on all day where they want to buy the VWAP, and it, and it executes throughout the day at a volume-weighted average price. And they, at the end of the day, have a price. You know, so it's very important to understand it. And I share with you my VWAPs and my ATRs, but my trading is probably different than yours. So if you can find a VWAP, people ask me, well, what's your VWAP numbers? How many days back? It, First of all, I can't tell you because it's an algorithm that changes based on volatility, but it doesn't even matter. You find the VWAP that suits your trading style. There's, there's one-day VWAPs, 20-day VWAPs, five-day VWAPs, 60-second VWAPs, 60-minute VWAPs. I mean, you, I don't know how you trade, right? So however you trade, VWAP is incredibly important. Average true range highs and lows, unbelievably important. And it's not just that the market or the stock has to stop at the ATR. Sometimes the ATR, let's say the market goes, or the, uh, the stock goes up to the ATR, it might 
consolidate for two hours and then break above the ATR, and that's a fantastic buy signal as it rips higher, telling you it's not an average day. So there's many different ways to trade the ATR. I do find these things much more valuable the more liquid the asset, and that's the only thing caveat that I would share with you. So they're incredibly uh, valuable on the S&P and the NASDAQ 100, and they're very valuable on uh, Tesla and and, and Microsoft and Apple, and they're kind of valuable on mid-cap stocks, and they're a little bit less valuable on small-cap names, and they're even less valuable on the tiny names. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they still carry value, and you still want to use them, but yeah, volume and, and, and is, is very important to that, too. Acorn, yeah. Rest in peace right now. There's just they're just dead. There's nothing to do there. Huh. All right. Um, can't argue with you on that. You gotta check the whiteboard. Are they still on the whiteboard? I haven't I haven't looked at my cannabis uh, whiteboard in a while. Because um, I'm just really, I just trade MSOS trying to get that. And if that starts to make me money, then I'm going to go back to the whiteboard, listen to conference calls again, see if there's anything cooking in those names, um, and see if I want to own them. All right, guys, this has been lots of fun. It's almost an hour and a half we've been chatting, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Thanks for spending your time with me. Uh, have a great weekend. We'll go at it again, 8.30 Monday morning for all Armour subscribers, Armour Insiders. I look forward to seeing you in the morning call, everybody else. Don't forget to subscribe to the email alerts. They're free. So you can keep up with, to a certain extent, what it is we're doing on the desk. And then when we have these meetings every Saturday, you have a little bit more context. Okay? So I think that will help you. All right, guys. Take care. I'll see you on the flip side.